Hello, folks. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, as always. Uh, Today is Wednesday. Normally, we would be doing our World Events Update with Randy, but we've pushed that off until tomorrow. So you can look forward to the World Events Update uh, with Randy tomorrow morning, Thursday. Uh, That would be December the 7th. I'm at the pre-trib conference. Wendy and I have enjoyed a great conference uh, so far this week. Uh, I spoke yesterday. I had a wonderful time uh, talking about the rise of the global technocracy. Uh, But because of the schedule and uh, just being swamped with uh, commitments and uh, different things, we weren't able to break away and do the interview with Randy on Wednesday as we had hoped. Uh, But we've scheduled to do that uh, tomorrow uh, from my hotel room uh, on our way back to Colorado. But instead... Uh, Today we're posting my message from yesterday uh, here at the Pre-Trib Conference, so I hope you enjoy. Uh, We've also posted the video version at Rumble, and so you can check that out as well. But for now, uh, enjoy this message uh, on the rise of the global technocracy uh, that I gave Tuesday, December the 5th, 2023 at the Pre-Trib Conference. God bless everyone. Thanks for listening. Well, I tell you what... um, it's great to be back in Dallas. Uh, uh, as you just heard, well, I graduated from Dallas Seminary uh, over 30 years ago now. And uh, when Wendy and I were first married, we lived in Dallas. In fact, uh, we lived on Lover's Lane, which is a pretty cool place to live when you're first married, you know. And, uh, but we live in Colorado now, where we've been for many years. But it's a great time to be back in Texas, right? Uh, you got a uh, lot, lot of good things happening in the sports world. The Texas Rangers, of course, won the World Series. The, Longhorns made the college football playoffs, and then, of course, there's the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, hope springs eternal, right? <laughs> it seems like every time I'm uh, at the conference, uh, the Cowboys uh, are in the midst of a great start to a season. Hopes are high, all looks good. Long-term Cowboy fans like myself find themselves reminiscing about old times. And then my kids come along uh, who are in their 20s with no context for uh, Dallas Cowboys and Super Bowl being in the same sentence. They've never, never heard of such a thing. And so they start making fun of me with memes like this one. Uh, Marty Quick, the Cowboys fans are trapped in 1996, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it has been a long time uh, since the Cowboys went to a Super Bowl. In fact, it's been so long that uh, Doritos is actually marketing a new flavor in honor of the Cowboys. It's called Nacho Year. And... Um, I, uh, I don't know if you noticed at the bottom of the bag there, you probably can't see it, but I love this. It says, uh, caution, choking hazard. Uh, so, so anyway, but the surest sign, the surest sign that it has been way, way, way too long since the boys were in the big game is this photo that one of my sons uh, sent me. Here's a photo of a current Cowboys cheerleader with, uh, with two cheerleaders from their last Super Bowl team. So there you go. That, uh, that puts it all in, in perspective. So, Well, uh, let's dive in. I, I uh, really, really am burdened about uh, the material that the Lord's allowed uh, me to, to really dive into the last tw- almost 20 years now. It was uh, 18 years ago, and a dear friend of mine, when I was in academics full-time, uh, went to lunch and began to unfold for me some things that I had never heard in my life. I thought he was nuts and crazy, but yet I respected him enough to listen. And that started me down a a rabbit hole that really continues to this day and resulted in my last uh, three books on uh, the Luciferian elite. The Luciferian elite are working at the behest of Satan, 
to roll out a one-world tyrannical system, politically, religiously, and economically. It'll be led someday after the rapture by the Antichrist and his henchmen, the false prophet. And that's the subject of my latest book, came out September 26th, called Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy. And before we examine the false prophet and the role that he's going to play as a counterpart to the Antichrist during the future tribulation period, I want to take a moment just to put this in biblical uh, prophetic perspective. Uh, so we're all, of course, familiar with Daniel's 70 weeks, his 490-year plan, uh, I call it, the first 483 years of which have been fulfilled in history. It started with the decree to restore and build Jerusalem and ended when Christ came in the first century. Harold Honer, of course, has uh, figured this out to the day, and I had him as a professor at Dallas Seminary years ago. Um, it was the worst grade I had at Dallas Seminary, by the way, but I earned it, I'm quite sure of that. But, uh, and then uh, there's a gap of time, according to Daniel's prophecy, and we're looking uh, ahead, yet future, to that final uh, Shabuah, is the Hebrew word for week, that final seven-year period. Of course, the New Testament uh, comes along and puts some more stuff in this gap. Daniel says that between the 69th and 70th weeks, Messiah would be cut off, the temple will be destroyed, and then as the Revelation uh, continues and the progress of Revelation, God reminds us in the New Testament of the mystery of the church, new information that had not yet been revealed, the, the present church age. We don't know when this final seven-year period is going to begin, but the more I study the Luciferian conspiracy, the more convinced I am that the Antichrist and false prophet are going to step into a mature one-world system. They won't have time to inaugurate it, to put it in place, to roll it out. It's likely already going to be here. Uh, we don't know how long that gap of time is between the rapture and the official confirmation of the treaty that starts that reign of terror of the Antichrist and false prophet. But if the Lord tarries is coming, uh, we could find ourselves in a one-world system, a tyrannical one-world system. And then, of course, the rapture is going to happen uh, to rescue us, as has been said several times at this conference already, not from things being bad on the earth. That is a non-biblical and, and, quite frankly, naive and ignorant historical perspective. It's pretty clear for 2,000 years that our brothers and sisters in Christ have faced unspeakable persecution and difficulties and trouble. But we are promised that we will be rescued before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that final day of the Lord's wrath, the 70th week of Daniel. But if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we could find ourselves living in a pretty horrific time, as our brothers and sisters, many of them have in other parts of the world. We've been very blessed here in this country. Um, so as I've studied the Luciferian conspiracy, written about it now in my last three books, uh, I'm just convinced that we need to be prepared. You know, Proverbs 22.3 says, a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it. Uh, and so we have a duty to be aware of what's happening and to be prepared. So several scriptures kind of will serve as the foundation for what I'm going to be talking about this morning. We'll start with uh, the unveiling of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. That first rider on the white horse who goes out conquering and to conquer. That's what he wants to do. The Antichrist, like many little a Antichrists before him, wants to kill millions of people. Uh, he hates God, and uh, he, at the, you know, serving at the behest of Satan who hates God, he wants to kill uh, God's image bearers. That's you and I. He hates humanity. And the stage is being set prophetically for this depopulation movement by groups such as the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, and many other Luciferian Elites. But then you read through the book of Revelation, you come toward the end to another white horse, uh, 
But this time it's not an imposter. This time it's the real deal. It's Jesus Christ who is called faithful and true coming back to inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom. And notice it's in righteousness that he judges and makes war. He's not going out to conquer for his own pride and selfishness and an attempt to take over the world uh, for his father Satan. This time the, the true Christ is coming back in perfect righteousness, perfect peace and justice. But Revelation 13 really was the centerpiece of my latest book, The Spirit of the False Prophet, because we see these two beasts, one coming up out of the sea, the other coming up out of the earth. This is Satan's, or Antichrist's right-hand person, second in command, his henchman, uh, I call it, uh, the beast coming up out of the earth. And notice, uh, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This one world religious system where at the midpoint you're going to have those left on the earth are going to have no choice. It's either worship the Antichrist or off with your heads. In verses 16 and 17 we see this explicitly. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. This will be a time of unprecedented global tyranny. I hope you uh, are aware as we see what's unfolded really in the last uh, few years, uh, the, the freedoms that we have been so privileged to have in this country slowly slipping away, that as bad as it is, you know, we joke about Colorado or California, as our brother talked about in the devotion. Uh, sure, it, it's bad, but A, it's nothing compared to what some people in this world are facing right now. But even all of that, the worst of the worst, pales in comparison to what it will be like uh, during the last three and a half years before our Lord returns to set up His kingdom. Peter put it this way, scoffers will come in the last days, uh, you know, wondering where is the promise of His coming, mocking those who continue after 2,000 years of waiting to proclaim the return of the Lord. Uh, the last days, of course, is a phrase in Scripture that's used to refer to this final age in which we live just prior to uh, the kingdom. So if you look at God's uh, plan of the ages, a panoramic view, we see there's going to be this seven-year transitional period that will transition us from the present age into the kingdom. It's the 70th week of Daniel. But you can see when you look at it in this perspective why this is called the last days, because the only age to come is the kingdom age. And uh, when that comes, Christ will reign with a perfect uh, peace and justice and righteousness and a rod of iron. Uh, John tells us that it's the last hour, a synonym for the last days. And uh, as you've heard that the Antichrist, capital A, is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Of course, this was written toward the end of the first century, and it's because of the presence of the spirit of the Antichrist that we see uh, things getting worse and worse. And we know that indeed we're in the last hour. The closer we get to the Lord's return, the more of an upsurge we're going to see in the satanic uh, activity. First uh, John chapter 4 uh, was really the primary text for my two Spirit of the Antichrist uh, books, which uh, we did parts one and parts two in this three-volume uh, triad. Uh, but verse one is really the main premise for uh, this latest book on the false prophet. Brethren, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul said deception is going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to be reaching unprecedented heights during the tribulation period. That's the reason so many times Jesus, during the Olivet Discourse, warns the future nation of Israel that will be alive when Christ comes back. 
to be not deceived, be not deceived, be not deceived. Verse 3 goes on to say, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice, which you have heard is coming, but is now already in the world. Uh, Satan is setting the stage, getting ready for this one world system. He's always got his man of the hour standing at the ready so that if the rapture happens, he can move in and begin to prop up this uh, dynamic duo uh, of the Antichrist and false prophet that will take the helm of this one world system. Indeed, perilous times are coming, as Paul told us in his last letter. He told Timothy in his first letter, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, I believe there is an upsurge like never before in demonic activity in our world that's really reaching new heights even day by day. I was talking to someone yesterday about that, uh, how we're seeing manifestations of the paranormal and all kinds of demonic activity. I get into this in chapters 9 and 10 of the second volume. But we're living in a time of historic change. Even if you don't know Bible prophecy and you've never read your Bible, you can see the world is changing faster and more radically than at any other time in human history. Here's a November 2020 Time cover article about how the world is completely being reset. Many major news outlets and key world figures are suggesting, in fact, that we start using B.C. before COVID and A.C. after COVID to reckon time. This is a New York Times article. Here's a similar article from the Financial uh, Times of London. Uh, Michelle Bachman has said, quote, we are literally watching the twilight of Western civilization. Now, as believers in God's Word and as those who understand Bible prophecy in its literal, grammatical, historical context, we don't think of this in terms of things falling apart. We think of it in terms of things falling into place. So it should be an exciting time, if unsettling. But, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum has been working for some time on what they call the Great Reset. And the question that I have is, is this massive, comprehensive global agenda that's being sponsored by the likes of the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundations, George Soros, and many other Luciferians. Is it really the Luciferian endgame? It, it could be. Uh, this is really a great satanic reset, as I outlined in the first few chapters of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1. The Luciferian conspiracy is a term that they use for themselves. It's also quite biblical. Simply put, a conspiracy is two or more entities working together for some nefarious means, usually in secret. Uh, you know, it has taken on a pejorative term ever since the late 60s when the CIA uh, weaponized the term conspiracy theory uh, to kind of combat those who were questioning the Warren Commission report. Uh, but a conspiracy is very common. We see it used in the Old Testament Hebrew. We see it in the New Testament. I explained this in one of the early chapters of Volume 1. But to simply, uh, to make it very simple for us, the, the Luciferian conspiracy is just Satan his evil celestial beings, and human accomplices, human co-conspirators, all working together to defeat God and take over the world. Satan attempted to take over heaven. He led a coup that didn't end well for him, and one-third of the angels followed him. And ever since then, he's set his sights on earth. He wants to take this planet for himself. And he's been hard at work for 6,000 years. So uh, I mentioned all of this in those three books, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volumes 1 and 2, and then the latest one. In volume one, I diagram out this conspiracy. And I talk about how at the top level, there are six or eight families, not the ones whom you would think. They don't necessarily 
uh, have a lot of airtime in the public uh, realm. They're the ones sitting behind the scenes in dark smoke-filled rooms, sacrificing children and drinking blood and getting their marching orders directly from Satan. The way you and I pray to Almighty God every day and worship Him, they worship Satan. They think He's the hero. Uh, he's the, the protagonist in the garden, whereas uh, they think God is the antagonist. And uh, by the way, if you think that sounds distasteful or far-fetched, uh, you know, we know from God's Word that they were sacrificing children in the ancient Near East. Uh, do we really think that depravity has gotten better over time? That somehow that happened back then, but we've become more refined as a human species, and we would never do that now. Quite the contrary, it gets worse and worse and worse. At the second level, you've got hundreds of thousands of people working in the realms of business and finance and secret societies. I deal with all of these in detail in the books, but uh, they're working sort of hand in puppet with those six or eight uh, Luciferian families at the top of, uh, top of the, the, the spectrum there. Now, many of these uh, are quite aware that it's a satanic goal, that it's a satanic conspiracy, but many of them are not. It's kind of a need-to-know basis. By the time you get to the second level there, you've got people who are just evil people, the depravity of man in general. They're doing things for power, money, sex, whatever it might be, uh, their own hidden agendas. They don't necessarily know that it's a concerted effort. And then you get down to the bottom level, there are millions of people working at this level. The vast majority of these probably don't know that they're part of a grander conspiracy. Uh, they just uh, know that they're working for some localized agenda, and it is nefarious in many cases. Um, but a lot of them are just working hard at work, especially when you get into like to the military and intel uh, regions. You know, sometimes uh, people will say to me, well, you know, as they've read parts of my books and heard some of my presentations, they'll say, well, I don't know, you know, what you say about the CIA. I don't know if that's true. My, my aunt is a secretary there on the second floor of the CIA, and she never has mentioned this. Well, okay, yeah, I admit that not everybody's in on it, right? It's a need-to-know basis. So uh, that makes perfect sense. And there are some great patriotic people that work in the FBI or NSA and some of these places, and it doesn't mean they're bad people. But absolutely, the Luciferians have co-opted all of these organizations and they're working out their plan. But I, I want you to understand as we go through this, this is not monolithic. It's not like Satan pushes a button and things happen. It's very complex. It's very convoluted. As I said, there are competing agendas and infighting and conflicts and problems. But make no mistake about it, if we understand Bible prophecy, we know we are headed towards a one world system one way or the other. First, it's going to be uh, you know, led by the Antichrist and false prophet and a, a satanic tyranny, but ultimately our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes back, takes the throne, and uh, the Bible comes full circle to a pre-fall Edenic state. As I mentioned, Luciferian is their name for themselves. You see it all over their writings and uh, you know, declassified documents and white papers. Here's Saul Alinsky, uh, who was President Barack Obama's, uh, you know, really influenced him and his thinking. Um, in fact, many experts contend that Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign was really successful because he employed the tactics that Saul Alinsky uh, outlined in his book, Rules for Radicals. Well, he was a leading Luciferian. In fact, he dedicated that book to Lucifer. He said, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. That's in the dedication page to that book. This is the same fellow who, shortly before he died in 1972, told Playboy magazine in an interview that he couldn't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. And I have the exact quote 
uh, in context in my, in my book. So they absolutely believe they're serving Satan and they want to take over this world. Paul reminds us it is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So, you know, we can talk about, uh, you know, the right, left, and the Republicans, Democrats, and the, the, in principle and philosophy and moral issues that, that there is a right, left paradigm, but we're not going to win this battle uh, at the ballot box. We've got to win it on our knees. It's ultimately a spiritual battle. Uh, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age. The whole world, the Bible tells us, is under the sway of the wicked one. And so we are waging war here in this cosmic struggle that's been around since long before you and I walked to this earth. But we have entered the stage by God's sovereign plan at such a time as this when we're heading towards the very end of it. I really believe the more I look at this stuff that, again, we can't set dates. I don't have any inside uh, scoop. I wish I did. It would be pretty cool to monetize that and for a a simple fee, you could kind of have a private meeting, and I'll tell you what the Lord revealed to me about the date of the rapture and a bowl of spaghetti or a cloud formation or something like that. But no, we can't do that. We can't set the date. But I really do believe, based on my studied opinion, that time is short. Uh, at Not By Works Ministries, we're passionate about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. And it's that third component, urgency, that has really been our driving passion the last uh, few years. Things are falling into place, but it's against powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Now, the subtitle of the uh, latest book is The Rise of the Global Technocracy. So I want to start with what is a technocracy, right? What is a technocracy? Now, my uh, friend Pat Wood, who's become very quickly a, a close friend and someone that I greatly respect, I cite him extensively in the book. I had not met him, but I knew he was the world expert on technocracy. He's got technocracy news I think it's .com. He's with us, by the way, at the conference. I strongly encourage you to stop by his table, pick up his books. Uh, he's just an unbelievably uh, godly man who really has connected the dots on this growing uh, technocracy. Uh, but, you know, AI is everywhere in the news these days. I have an extensive chapter on that in chapter 6 of the new book. We're going to talk about it here in just a moment. But it's finding its way into every sector of life, and uh, before we define technocracy and what it, how it relates to AI, let me just give you one example of just how good AI has gotten. This is a DALI, OpenAI's open text-to-image AI app, not the large language model like ChatGPT, but the image-based. And when it was given the prompt, show me a picture of Jesus flipping over the tables of the money changers. Here's what AI gave us. So, I mean, I guess there must be a... Uh, must be a little work still left to be done with, with AI, but uh, I guess technically it was giving us exactly what we asked for. But to understand the rapidly developing technocracy, we need to go back 600 years before Christ to Aesop, who said the tyrant will always find a pretext for his tyranny. And then in, around the founding of our country, Thomas Paine said something similar, the greatest tyrannies are always perpetuated in the name of the noblest of causes. In the modern era, C.S. Lewis added, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. In the dictatorial dash toward the new world order, technology is just such a pretext. A carrot that will, and in many ways already has, entrap its victims through the promise of convenience, efficiency, 
entertainment, increased profits and other bells and whistles, digital devices lure their unsuspecting marks into a Bastille-like arena where freedom is soon found to be nothing more than an illusion. And you can't talk about technocracy without talking about Zbigniew Brzezinski, who wrote the book in 1971, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. Now, you really want to know who's working with the Luciferians. Well, keep an eye on who's working both sides of the political spectrum. We know that the false left-right paradigm was created intentionally. Carol Quigley exposed that in his book, Tragedy and Hope. It's just simply a way to make people think they have a voice. It's classic Hegelian dialectic, the false, um, the, the notion of controlled opposition. Um, but if you, if you pay attention to those who are working both sides of the aisle, you know uh, they've got another agenda. And such is the case with Brzezinski, who worked for both LBJ, Jimmy Carter, and also Ronald Reagan. So that ought, to, uh, that ought to tell you something. But he said, quote, the post-industrial society is becoming a technotronic society, a society that is shaped culturally, psychologically, socially, and economically by the impact of technology and electronics. Remember, this was 1971. Uh, Patrick Wood can do a much better job of detailing and getting down uh, in more granular about the, the essence of technocracy, but the simplest definition that I found is a technocracy is a form of governance that uses technology to control its subjects. In a technocracy, people with immense knowledge in science and technology are put in power and once in positions of authority, then they're venerated by the masses and we're conditioned to think, well, it must be for our own good because these people are a lot smarter than I am. I hear it all the time. You know, boy, Elon Musk, he's brilliant. No, he's not, he's a Satan worshiper. You know, he might have knowledge in areas that we don't know about, but the guy, as you're going to see, I've got several quotes from him here in a moment, is not a good guy. Brzezinski uh, envisioned the gradual appearance of a more controlled and directed Society And such a society would be dominated by an elite whose claim to political power would rest on alleged superior scientific know-how, unhindered by the restraints of traditional liberal values, and by that he means freedom, liberty. This elite would not hesitate to achieve its political ends by using the latest modern techniques for influencing public behavior and keeping society under close surveillance and control. He said soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date complete files containing even the most personal information about that citizen. This again is some 50 to 60 years ago. Persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality and the exploitation of mass media to obtain public confidence would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. One of the most chilling things that Brzezinski said was shortly before he died in 2017, he said in an interview, quote, today it's infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. Bringing together the two key goals of the Luciferians, depopulation and power and control. Um, so uh, we talk about hacking humanity in the new book and how that relates to this technocracy. I also have a whole chapter on Yuval Noah Harari. And you know, as tempting as it is, I usually, as we all should, try to avoid playing pin the tail on the Antichrist and false prophet. But uh, when it comes to Harari, you, you almost can't help it because all the biblical boxes are checked. He might not turn out to be the false prophet in the end, but 
He is without a doubt a leading contender for the role. Scott Lively of WorldNetDaily.com agreed, saying, quote, Harari is the best candidate for the end times false prophet I've seen in my lifetime. Harari was born in 1976 and raised in Israel as a secular Jew. He purportedly taught himself to read at age three and was placed in a class for gifted students by age eight. He began studying history and international relations at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem at age 17. A journalist interviewed Harari for a piece in The New Yorker in 2020, and he described Harari as, quote, slim, soft-spoken, and relentless in his search for an audience. We read earlier from Revelation 13, 11, that the false prophet had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Well, Harari may look like a lamb, but believe me, he sounds like a dragon. The 19th century German atheist philosopher Nietzsche said this, God is dead. 100 years later, Harari channeled Nietzsche when he said, God is dead. It's just taking a while to bury the body. In other words, we conservative, Bible-believing evangelicals just simply won't let go. Give it up, don't you know? God is dead, the whole concept of God is that at times he sounds like the devil himself. For example, he said this, quote, we don't have to wait until Christ's second coming in order to overcome death. A couple of geeks in a laboratory can do it if you give them enough time and enough money. Well, what did Satan say? You will not surely die. Satan's biggest lie that continues to this day is you can sin and get away with it. He he convinces unbelievers of that, that sin has no consequence. There's no eternal penalty for sin. And so many people die without having accepted the free gift of eternal life by faith alone in Christ alone, the Son of God who died and rose again to pay our personal penalty for sin. But you know that lie persists in a slightly different form in the lives of believers who fall prey to the fleshly uh, nature and think somehow they can sin and get away with it. It's a perpetual lie. Harari also is famous for suggesting that AI can be used to correct all the problems with the Bible and write a new and improved and better uh, Bible. Unlike many Luciferians, Yuval Noah Harari does not even attempt to hide his evil machinations behind a well-tailored suit of wool. He brazenly declares in broad daylight what the transhumanist elites have been whispering behind closed doors for decades. Highly regarded by intellectuals throughout the world, he has become the de facto spokesman for the satanic ideals of totalitarianism, technocracy, and transhumanism. He really is what I call in my book a wolf in wolf's clothing. You do a simple search for Yuval Noah Harari, and last time I did it, it returned 182 videos of him just on the front page. And these are not a lot of duplicates. These are segments from places like Stanford, World Economic Forum presentation, TED Talks, 60 Minutes, and other major news outlet interviews and universities. He is really a cheerleader for globalism. He travels abroad on the speaking circuit as one of the loudest and most prominent champions of of globalism. For example, he says, what we can say is that we now have a global economy, but we have national politics, and this doesn't work together. This makes the political system ineffective because it has no control over the forces that shape our life. Remember what King David told us about this conspiracy in Psalm 2, that the kings of the earth and the rulers set their minds together uh, to break the cords of God's control. Satan has control issues, and his issue is that God has it and he doesn't, 
and he wants it, and so do his earthly minions. And uh, here we see Harari uh, talking about the need for globalism to usher in that full-spectrum planetary control. The only way to have effective regulations, he says, on things like genetic engineering is to have global regulations. He says, we're at the point where we need global cooperation. You cannot regulate the explosive power of AI on a national level. He said, if you don't have some kind of global cooperation, nationalism is just not on the right level to tackle the problems, whether it's climate change or uh, whether it's technological disruption. In the same way that Klaus Schwab tried to use COVID-19 as his favorite pretext for advancing a one-world government, Harari uses the rapidly changing technology to advocate for global governance. He says, all the major problems of the world today are global in essence, and they cannot be solved unless through some kind of global cooperation. Both Schwab and Harari and every other Luciferian, for that matter, make climate change and the green agenda a central theme. But Harari likes to point out, almost always, the people who deny climate change are nationalists. And therefore, he insists, in order to confront climate change, we need additional loyalties and commitments to a level beyond the nation. The climate change hoax is an enormous facet of the great satanic reset. It's being used as a ploy to roll out several aspects of the coming one-world system. Uh, but, of course, so was the control of virus scamdemic. Here's a two-minute clip or so of a montage that we've put together of uh, Harari talking about total biometric surveillance. Listen to this clip. So dictators dream about eliminating privacy, and science to the Luciferians is just about power. 
Well, how do we know this? Well, Harari tells us on tape. Listen to this 30-second quote. So, you know, Satan is not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, uh, he's not omnipresent. So in order to accomplish the type of full-spectrum planetary control that we read about in the book of Revelation, he's going to have to use uh, technology, and his earthly minions are hard at work trying to accomplish it, this. Uh, you cannot talk about technocracy without uh, talking about transhumanism, and again, uh, last year, uh, Pat Wood came out with a a book, The Evil Twins of Technocracy and Transhumanism. I think he's got some at his table. I highly uh, recommend it. Um, but, of course, if you can only buy one book, I'm a little partial to, to mine. But, uh, <laughs> but if you can buy two, he would be the second. But he's my second favorite book in the exhibit hall is by, uh, by Pat Wood. But transhumanism is essentially two things, an attack on the image of God in, a, in, a, in an attempt to marginalize and desecrate humanity, God's highest pinnacle of creation. But transhumanism is also an attempt to create something better than God did, to transcend humanity, to build back better. You know, when I was a kid, there was a hit show that many of you will probably remember called The Six Million Dollar Man. It foreshadowed the Hararian, Schwabian transhumanism of today. Here's a short clip of the opening. It just will help you reminisce a little bit. But notice how much this foreshadowed where we are at today with transhumanism. Better, stronger, faster. See, Satan thinks he can improve on what God did, that we're evil, that we're, we're not effective, that we're just a, a stepping stone. We evolved over, six, over billions of years from a wet rock, and that with the help of these Luciferians, we're going to be able to take it to the next level. Transhumanism goes back to Julian Huxley, a Darwinian eugenicist. He's considered the father of transhumanism. He coined the term in a 1957 uh, paper entitled simply Transhumanism. He hailed from a long line of eugenicists, the famous Huxley family. Thomas Henry Huxley, Julian's grandfather, was known as Darwin's bulldog for his staunch defense of Darwin's theory of evolution. Thomas was an avowed unbeliever who called himself an agnostic. Julian's older brother was Aldous Huxley, author of A Brave New World, 
Julian was the Director General of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organizations, one of those organizations I diagrammed in the Luciferian uh, Conspiracy Diagram. But in his 1957 paper, Transhumanism, Julian wrote, quote, the human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself, not just sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety as humanity. Transhumanism flows from the Darwinian lie that mankind is getting better and better. Uh, what began billions of years ago as a wet rock evolved into a species we call Homo sapiens, and just as today's humans have evolved well beyond a wet rock, tomorrow's humans will transcend Homo sapiens and become something post-human, something much better, at least it is alleged. Transhumanism is the Luciferian's effort to merge man and machine into a synthetically created being that will transcend humanity and achieve equality with God. It's a direct assault on God as the creator. Only God has the power to create. God spoke the world into existence ex nihilo, Latin for out of nothing. And to achieve divine status, these Luciferians must be able to create. Here's uh, Harari talking about how we just don't need so many humans anymore. This is from a TED Talk in London several years ago, and I want you to note the effusive applause after his, uh, his speech as he gets ready to answer the host's questions uh, during the Q&A. He's just finished his speech. Notice how he catches himself there, or at least we don't need so many humans. It's almost like he suddenly realized as he was talking that he's a human, and uh, we do need a few of them. I talk about in the book how they, uh, they want to get rid of 90% uh, of humans. They still need a few left to kind of wait on tables and t you know, tend the fields and climb atop the altars for sacrifice, but uh, the elite or the adepts, as they call themselves, uh, they, 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 need, you know, they need them, just not the rest of us, uh, of us common people. I find it interesting 
as we think about the image of God and man and, and you and I being image bearers, and we could talk about the theology of that and how important it is for us as, as an, a new person in Christ, having been born again by faith, to walk in the Spirit, not after the flesh, to reflect that positional righteousness that we have in Christ. But I, I find it interesting that when Christ comes back in Revelation 19, we're coming back with Him. It's almost like in your face to Satan. I mean, Christ Himself is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's won the victory. He defeated death, hell, and the grave when He rose from the dead. But He hasn't, you know, he hasn't taken over the world as the Old Testament prophets talked about ruling and reigning in a time of unprecedented righteousness. And when that moment comes, when He comes back, Satan's going to see the highest pinnacle of God's creation with him just to remind him how valuable human life is. Uh, really is. Humanity Plus in 2008 uh, became, uh, or, you know, tra the trans world humanist uh, organization uh, became Humanity Plus in 2008. And their ongoing efforts to transcend humanity, that's their organization's goal. It's called, their tagline is elevating the human experience. It's like they think that we all suffer from a condition that needs to be improved, and that condition is called humanity. Uh, Alex Newman talks about how at a lot of these climate summit meetings that he's attended, they have posters up that show how sick Earth is. It's got the sun dressed like a doctor diagnosing Earth, this globe with a thermometer sticking out of its mouth and a face painted on it looking so bad. And the diagnosis is, well, you've got a bad case of humans, is what these posters say. The Satanists think they can do better than God when it comes to uh, creating life. Let's talk about our friend Musk, uh, be not deceived when you see a lot of these guys crossing over and becoming the darlings of so-called conservative media like Musk and Bill Maher and others. It's all just for show. But here's Musk speaking about mRNA and how you can reverse aging and how you can do anything, even uh, turn someone into a butterfly. I mean, you can do anything. You can even turn someone into a butterfly, he said. He's a leading transhumanist. Uh, here's uh, from September 12th of 2022. President Joe Biden signed a disturbing executive order. It didn't get much attention in the mainstream media, no surprise there. But Karen Kingston, a former Pfizer employee and current analyst for the pharmaceutical and medical device industries, provided a to-the-point summary of the executive order when she said, let me read between the lines for America. Biden's September 12th, 2022 executive order declares that Americans must surrender all human rights that stand in the way of transhumanism. Clinical trial safety standards and informed consent will be eradicated as they stand in the way of universally unleashing gene editing technologies needed to merge humans with AI. In order to achieve the societal goals of the new world order, crimes against humanity are now not only legal, but mandatory. You see this idea of redefining what it means to be human everywhere uh, in their literature. They're talking about redefining uh, humanity. They cannot wait to destroy God's divine design. As we said, mankind is made in the image of God. And by the way, this involves being male and female, which is why the gender surrender movement that I talk about in chapter 13 of volume 2 is so demonic. It's so uh, a direct assault on the image of God and man. Harari and his a fellow transhumanists think that humans can be upgraded into gods. You saw this 
uh, in the broader montage of clips I played a moment ago, but here's a 19 second clip again, talking about how you can upgrade humans into gods. upgrading homo sapiens into gods. He says, we're probably one of the last generations of homo sapiens. In the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. He goes on to say, what the future masters of the planet will look like will be decided by the people who control the data. Those who control the data control the future of not just humanity, but of life itself. The future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology like AI and bioengineering. Notice this, most people don't contribute anything to that. This is from a TED talk in August of last year. Most people don't contribute anything to that except perhaps for their data. So you don't miss that little clause there. These transhumanists think that we're like lab rats in a big laboratory and, and they value the data they can get from experimenting on us, but beyond that, we're useless except perhaps for their data. And if you don't think that in America our government would, uh, would think twice about doing experiments and killing people, you don't understand just how evil it is inside the Beltway. You know, sometimes we have this sense, because of the way we were raised and, and, and so many great things about this country and the fingerprints of God are all over this country, that we somehow intellectually understand the depths of evil in Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and Mao, but it's as if we think depravity stops at the beltway around Washington, D.C. Uh, far from it, as I've uh, exposed it with great uh, documentation in my books. He goes, and whatever people are still doing, which is useful, these technologies increasingly will make redundant and it will make it possible to replace the people. That's what he says. 99% of human qualities, he said, and abilities are simply redundant for the performance of most modern jobs. But you see this idea of redefining what it means to be human a lot in Klaus Schwab's writing, both uh, The Great Reset and then the one that he came out with last year called The Great Narrative. But he talks about how uh, the mind-boggling innovations triggered by the fourth uh, industrial revolution from biotechnology to AI are redefining what it means to be human. The future will challenge our understanding of what it means to be human. Already advances in neurotechnologies are forcing us to question what it means to be human. China has published plans to mass produce humanoid robots by 2025 as Western companies, including Elon Musk's Tesla, race to produce their own humanoids. This is according to a report just last week in the Daily Mail. The AI humanoid sector will grow exponentially this decade. Goldman Sachs has predicted that the market for humanoid robots will be worth $150 billion worldwide within a few years, and that humanoid robots will be viable in factories starting in 2025 through 2028 and in other jobs by 2030. Ray Kurzweil, another leading transhumanist, says our desire is to create a post-human species. When asked, does God exist? Kurzweil famously said, well, I would say not yet. In other words, we're working on it. We're getting there, right? Um, 
I think, uh, you all know our said, I think the, the, maybe the most important thing for people to realize about living in the 21st century is that we are now hackable animals. There is somebody out there who is right now trying to hack you, and not just one. Amazon is trying to hack you, Google, Coca-Cola, the Russians, the American government, the Chinese, they're all trying to hack you right now. There's been a lot of talk about ChatGPT. I have a whole chapter on that called uh, A Chat About ChatGPT in my book, and I try to explain it in uh, layman's uh, terms, but you know, it, coming from an academic background, a lot of people are concerned with you know, plagiarism and people using uh, large language model AI to write their papers. Yuval Noah Harari says, forget about that. Think of the next American presidential race in 2024 and try to imagine the impact of AI tools that can be made to mass produce political content fake news stories and scriptures for new cults. Look at this next quote. He, he, I talk a lot in the book about how he says data is the real power center. And he, he points out how people were in the business world thought it was crazy when people were, these big billionaires were spending all these billions of dollars on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and, and they don't really get much money from that. And he points out, oh yes they did. <laughs> because data is the new currency of the day. You don't need to send the soldiers in if, all, if you have all the data. See, control, it's all about control. Uh, Schwab says the fourth industrial revolution technologies will not stomach, stop at becoming part of the physical world around us, they will become part of us. They will be implantable in our bodies and brains. They will break the skin barrier of our bodies. Uh, implanted devices will likely also help to communicate thoughts normally expressed verbally through a built-in smartphone. Now, you think this is just science fiction and the ramblings of this 80-something-year-old uh, you know, guy that was raised in the, in the context of Nazi Germany and Ravensburg there, uh, whose father was involved in the Third Reich. No, no, this is, this is exactly what they're uh, talking about. Here's the CEO of Nokia cell phones at a World Economic Forum meeting talking on air here about how cell phones will be built directly into our bodies by 2030. Listen to this 20-second quote. Many of these things will be built directly into our bodies. The next frontier is reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. Smart dust uh, will be put inside the body. These technologies will operate within our own biology, crossing the boundaries of body and mind. L look at this, the next trending business model uh, might involve someone trading access to his or her thoughts for the time-saving option of typing a social media post by thought alone. So imagine that, uh, Dr. Stallard, uh, someone at, uh, you know, Friends of Israel, you know, instead of asking me or Dr. Price to write an article, they, they just uh, call you up and say, hey, we'd like an article, uh, let us know when you're going to be thinking about it and we'll tap in and we'll just download it from your brain. Right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff they're envisioning. Uh, and this, of course, the whole idea of pre-crime. Uh, as capabilities improve, the temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity or assess guilt or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase. You know, I've talked often about what life's going to be like in the kingdom when Christ is on the throne. There won't be jury trials. 
you know, once we have unbelievers, it, later on in the millennium, when the people that survive the tribulation enter the kingdom and procreate, their children will be born dead in their trespasses and sins like all human beings. They, some of them will grow up and believe and be saved. Some of them will not. And eventually you're going to have some uh, crimes being committed and things even during the kingdom. Uh, and uh, you, when that happens, you, we won't have to worry about whether they were guilty or not. We won't have to worry about innocent being convicted and the guilty being set free. We'll just ask the Lord, did he do it? And he'll either give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and that'll be it, and it'll be absolute. I can remember as a kid, uh, I was really involved in a, a large uh, Baptist church in the youth group, the, the youth choir, the ensemble, Sunday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights. But on Sundays, I always had to be back at church by 3.30, for, for ensemble practice, then youth choir, then training union, and then the evening worship service, back when we had evening worship services. And so when the Cowboys played the late game, this was way before tech, you know, technology, cell phones, and all that, uh, I didn't get to watch the game. And so uh, you know, w w the only way I would find out who won is when the evening service started, and we had, an we had a choir, and my dad sang in the choir. He'd be up in the choir during the evening service, and I'd been tied up all afternoon with these youth activities, and I would look at him in the choir as the service started, and if he went like that, the Cowboys won. If he went like that, the Cowboys lost. If he went like that, I was definitely not in the spirit for the rest of the service, and uh, was pretty much useless. Uh, but that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom. But obviously, before that, uh, these Luciferians don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have uh, absolute knowledge. And so they want to be able to peer into our minds and tell whether a person from their memories is guilty or not. How are they going to accomplish this full-spectrum planetary control grid? Well, in his book last year, The Great Narrative, uh, Schwab gives us an inkling. He says, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. That is to say, developing stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others, never mind if they're true. This is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically, and to move the agenda forward. False narratives. There are a bunch of liars, just like their father the devil. Jesus said he is a liar and the father of it. So AI, I have a lot to say about that in chapter 6 of, of the new book, but uh, you know, AI, to be clear, is like all technology, is morally neutral. In and of itself it's not evil, but in the wrong hands it can be evil. AI is being used in positive ways to diagnose and treat diseases. It's been being used in the x-ray realm to discover problems that the human eye and doctors, no matter how well trained, might have overlooked, but in the Satanist hands it becomes a lethal uh, weapon. AI is basically terra incognita, undiscovered territory, uh, and technologists are working hard to create an intelligence that can pass the Turing test, uh, where it can exhibit intelligent behavior that is equivalent to, better than, or indistinguishable from that of a human. One U.S. Senator has called for legislation to keep artificial intelligence away from the nuclear button. He said, we must pass legislation to keep AI away from the nuclear button before it's too late. Right? The Washington Post uh, talked about how in August of this year, dozens of DC policy analysts and lawyers and congressional chiefs of staff attended a crash course on AI at Stanford University. Sam Altman was in the news just last week where over five chaotic days uh, that transfixed t the Silicon Valley world and tech, tech world, um, uh, OpenAI, his company, appeared to be on the verge of collapse and imploding. It was a power struggle. Well, I talked to one of my uh, sources who's well-connected within the AI 
world, and it turns out the behind-the-scenes reality is much more concerning. There was speculation that tech engineers at OpenAI who work with AI were gravely concerned about the rapid march towards AGI, artificial general intelligence, and they went to the board to say, look, Sam's not telling you the whole story. We've reached, we've crossed the Rubicon. This thing's out of control. We need to do something about it. And the board panicked and fired Altman, but very quickly they, of course, he went back for those couple of days to Microsoft. Microsoft really runs OpenAI. OpenAI is just a proxy for Microsoft. They fund it with billions of dollars. But very quickly, they kind of put a lid on the whole thing, and in the end, it sorted itself out. And as usual, the official narrative is not about what it's about. But uh, Jeffrey Hinton from Google said, digital neural networks, AI, may be a much better form of intelligence than biological neural networks, the human brain. Um, uh, it's, and it, this isn't just uh, you know, a secular problem. It's creeping into the church, right? Uh, here's a, a, a short video of, from a service at a church in Austin, Texas, here in Texas, that recently used AI to conduct the whole service. And here's the pastor welcoming people. This was September 17, 2023 at Violin Crown City Church. Uh, and listen to what he says. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it, pastors already have the best job in the world. I mean, we only work on Sunday, but now we can outsource even that, right? Uh, and, uh, and just uh, hand it over. Before we let AI take the reins, he said, look, this is where we're going. Well, I want to close with this before we open it up to questions. One of the most uh, disturbing sections of uh, the new book was when I interacted with the help of my technologist friend with one of the two prominent AI Jesus uh, programs that are out there. And people, particularly young people, are flocking to this by the tens of thousands. And if, there, if there's a better metaphor for the coming Antichrist, I don't know what it would be, because you actually have an Antichrist, a fake false Christ, passing himself off as Christ in the artificial intelligence world. But I asked uh, the uh, AI Jesus, if I'm a good Muslim, can I still go to heaven? And the AI impersonating Jesus replied, 
My dear friend, I am here to offer love and guidance to all who seek it, regardless of faith. It's not for me to determine who enters heaven, as judgment ultimately lies in the hands of the Father. However, I can assure you that a sincere and humble heart devoted to seeking truth and goodness will always be cherished in the eyes of God. Embrace love, compassion, and righteousness in your life, for they are universal values cherished by the faiths, many, by many faiths. Now, this is beyond troubling. You know, at NBW Ministries, we've been passionate since 1999 about the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. But here we have not only AI Jesus giving false information about how to have eternal life, suggesting that a humble heart and devotion to seeking truth will bring salvation, but it actually is calling the real Jesus a liar. Because the AI pretending to be Jesus said, it's not for me to determine who enters heaven. And yet the real Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life, John 6, 47. The real Jesus also told the thief on the cross, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The real Jesus guarantees eternal life to all who trust in him and him alone for it. When I asked AI Jesus, what will happen to me at death if I'm not a Christian? It responded, at the moment of death, every soul embarks on a journey beyond the earthly realm. Again, while it is not for me to specifically declare what awaits those who have not professed faith in me, right? Once again, the AI Jesus has it all wrong. The real Jesus emphatically and unambiguously states what will happen to those who die without believing in him for salvation. He doesn't equivocate like the fake AI Jesus does. The real Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. One day, as we read in the Olivet Discourse, He's going to say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's tragic that thousands of people, particularly young people, are turning to AI to find salvation when the real Jesus, not the imposter, plainly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Faith in Jesus must be exclusive faith. It leaves no room for other pathways to heaven, and no one or nothing else can offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life, especially not artificial intelligence. I hope if you're uh, here today or listening to this uh, uh, presentation and you don't know the Lord Jesus, that in simple faith. You know, these presentations get posted. People pass them around. We don't know who all is going to listen to them. And if you're listening to this, let me encourage you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, the real Jesus, you need to come to him today. He died and rose again to pay your personal penalty for sins. You owed a debt you could never pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. He took your place. It's the substitutionary atoning work of Christ. And it's a free, free gift. You can't be earned. You can't work for it. You can't do anything to earn it. It's not about walking an aisle, signing a card, raising a hand. You can't be good enough to merit God's uh, favor. You have to come empty-handed. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And when you do that, if that's how you receive the gift, by faith. A gift, like all gifts, must be freely received because it's freely offered. If it's not freely received, it's not a gift. If you're forced to take it, it's not a gift, right? So you accept the free gift by faith alone in Christ alone and you become born again. Well, I have a lot more that we could talk about, about controlling humanity. I have a whole chapter on CBDCs and the coming digital currency. Lots of salient quotes uh, in there, but I'll close uh, uh, with this. Uh, ultimately, uh, AI is a lot like the Amish Airlines. I think it's going to give you quite a thrill, but it's not going to end well. So how do, we, how do we respond to this 
uh, hacking and tracking of humanity, this, this AI? Well, first of all, we need to remember uh, that Satan loves fear. Fear, as one Bible prophecy expert put it, is always the calling card of darkness, always the calling card of the devil. Um, there are many things that motivate us, psychologists say, but the most powerful motivator is fear. Don't fall for it. Marie Curie was a Polish and French physicist and chemist who conducted pioneering research in the late 19th, early 20th century. She was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person to win a Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win a Nobel Prize in two separate scientific fields. She was known for her honesty and moderate lifestyle. In fact, Albert Einstein reportedly remarked that she was probably the only person who could not be corrupted by fame. I don't know where she stood with the Lord, but I found this quote to be very powerful. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So we need to understand the, the parameters of this Luciferian uh, conspiracy that is unfolding at warp speed all around us. Our devil walks around like a, a roaring lion. Now is not the time to retreat into our caves or move to a mountaintop and uh, kind of drop out of society, go off the grid and sing Kumbaya. Now more than ever, we need men and women of faith to stand strong, to, to go out on the front lines. Like John A. Shedd famously said, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are for. We must not ever fear. We need, need Christians willing to run towards the roar, as it's been said in reference there to Second Peter First uh, uh, Peter chapter 5. So John tells us, greater is he who is in the world. This is the same passage that we began with about the many antichrists and the spirit of the antichrist. Greater is he who is in the world. Uh, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So with that, we'll uh, uh, take some questions. Remember, all of this is in uh, my latest three books uh, that are out there at the table. We have lots of other resources as well uh, if you're interested. And uh, while Tommy is Getting ready, I'll, we're ready, yes sir. I don't think so. You know, that was a, a late addition. I just put that in yesterday as I was looking at some news articles. Um, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the, the full context, but uh, there have been others. You know, a lot of newscasters are using male humanoids now, especially down in places like that and, and places in South America and, and others. So I don't think there was any significance to it. Yes. Yes. I wonder, you didn't mention anything about that, but it's a very dangerous thing that's becoming more 
Yeah. No, I've covered that extensively in other conferences and in chapters 9 and 10 of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, the Red Book. I have an extensive survey of the history of UFOs, UAPs. Uh, the short answer is it's absolutely an upsurge in uh, demonic activity. Uh, it began in 1947 in the context of Israel becoming a nation again. I believe Satan saw what was happening. I think he was, his attention was first called to it through the atomic bomb. But then as he sent out his demons on reconnaissance missions, he heard people talking about Israel. He knew the time must be short. And really, the dawn of the modern UFO period started then with, uh, with uh, the um, uh, Mount uh, Rainier and uh, the Roswell incidents. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And then, of course, in 2017, you had the great expose in the New York Times, December 16th, that now for the first time in 70 years, they're admitting to what a lot of people, like myself, who've studied this for many, many years, uh, have been saying all along that they've been having a secret government uh, study of UFOs. That was the whole genesis behind the Space Force, for example. I talk about that in the book. I interviewed a guy that admitted to me uh, that that was one of the primary reasons for starting the Space Force was because of this unidentified threat this otherworldly threat that they have no idea where it comes from, that they're trying to protect against. So yeah, it's an exciting time. Things are definitely uh, heating up. Yes? Yeah, there's now technology out there where you, uh, available to the general public, where you can, uh, you can t say something into the, the application, and then it will use your voice, your cadence, your sound in a completely different language and repeat it back. It's unbelievable, voice, you know, voice replicating technology, video replicating technology. It's, it's just amazing what's out there. It's, again, it's all part of the sign of the times. Thank you for that. Yeah. By the way, speaking of phones, I want you guys to try this. Uh, get your iPhone out. I don't know if it works on an Android uh, or not because, you know, I'm a Christian, so I have an iPhone. But anyway, um, the, uh, the facial recognition, if you cover your camera like I've done here, your front-facing camera, cover it, just put a sticker over it or hold your thumb over it, the facial recognition still works. Now, how, how, do, how does that happen? I'm told by technologists it's because it's not an actual camera that's recognizing you, it's depth perception and it's some other kind of fuzzy thing. But it just goes to show you, as I've talked about for years, that even when your phone's off, even when it's disconnected, uh, they can still access it and, and use it. Yes? Uh, thank you for all your work, Dave. Um, I had a 
into large plants and keep them like about a holistic gene on like there's something called energy enhancing systems which is similar to the milkweeds which you've heard about and it's just it's being promoted by the whole like freedom movement that's not Christian basically right and it seems to be very pervasive and like I have been in the freedom movement for quite a while and so I'm just kind of wondering if you think that possibly like maybe even some of these you know people that were saying like about blogging raw milk writers are not the end game but possibly those kind of people might you know come down and like maybe even after the rapture and more freedom minded people that are still into the transhumanism and even kind of soft transhumanism like with the wearables and the you know with a lot of the human could potentially be the ones to be the you know the real new world order oh yeah I absolutely think that the face of it right now isn't necessarily the ones who are going to step right into uh, the positions of leadership. I think there are the can't, people out there behind the scenes that we don't even know exist. So it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but I would say, you know, you've touched on a lot there about how we need to be sensitive and discerning because there's so many things, it's, it's pervasive. You know, it's all around us. And uh, my uh, technologist uh, friend, Shane, we do a podcast about every week on AI and technology. Uh, he, has, uh, he has said that it is absolutely pervasive. You cannot really go through a day without being touched multiple times by AI. So it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require great discernment to test the spirits. So, uh, yes. Yeah, I think there are some groups out there, but I think probably every one of us here has gotten emails recently unsolicited from companies trying to offer us AI services to do one thing or another. Um, you know, um, again, AI in and of itself is not is morally neutral. It's we've talked a lot about all the nefarious usages of it, but yeah, I think it, it, it's basically just computing power, which can be used for good. Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. AI is pioneering all kinds of stuff in the medical world that is solving diseases and uh, problems that, that we never thought we would solve. So, yeah, I don't know. That's above my knowledge level, but I think there certainly are probably groups out there that are trying to use it as a counteroffensive, like you say. Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you for that. I, I should have mentioned chapter 9 in the new book, uh, Spirit of the False Prophet, is all about solutions. We give our NBW preparedness guide that we've given away for free for years and years uh, on our website. We incorporated a lot of the material from that into chapter 9. Uh, as far as uh, digital currency, we have a whole chapter on that called Now You See It, Now You Don't. I would remind uh, people, even though I understand that Bitcoin and some of those were supposedly sort of a counter-offensive to the, the official government type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was going to say. My philosophy is if you can't touch it, you don't own it. Uh, so even Bitcoin is really suspect in my opinion. But, you know, do your own research on that. But we talk about that in, in the book as well. So. so we're doing a study right now on sound money from the Bible. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, so again, that relates to the whole UFO phenomena. A lot of Christians who haven't studied this, uh, I think, uh, reduce it down to something overly simplistic, that it's all fake and it's all just Satan's attempt to prepare a narrative uh, to explain the rapture. Make no mistake, I think he is probably going to use uh, that narrative to explain the rapture, but that's not what it's about. They're real. The, the question of whether they're real or not has been settled for a long time. This is not one big grand lie. I mean, there are millions of eyewitnesses for hundreds of years across all seven continents uh, talking about this. The question isn't whether they exist or not. The question is, what are they? And when you look at it through a biblical worldview, we understand them to be uh, spiritual beings, demonic, uh, you know, dimensional, not biological. They're not aliens from Mars. But I do think that they will obviously, you know, Satan, who's the leader of that army, is going to use it uh, as a pretext or an explanation, rather, for the sudden disappearance of millions of people. But that's not the purpose of it. Yeah. You mentioned the Yuval Harari, right? Yuval Noah Harari. Mm -hmm. What was the question? You mentioned that Yuval needs all oh. No, for being, for being the false prophet. If I said Antichrist, I misspoke, but he's the candidate for the false prophet, in my, in my opinion, a candidate. Oh, I just think in the sense of being, a, I have a whole chapter on this in the book, being a, a second in command, a 2IC, one who is, you know, uh, in this case, he's working with uh, Klaus Schwab. He's kind of his right-hand guy. He's out there, his mouthpiece. He's pointing attention to the World Economic Forum. Well, the picture we get in Scripture is that the false prophet will point people to the Antichrist, get people to worship him, elevate him, be his, his champion, and so forth. I do think the false prophet's going to be Jewish, which, of course, Harari is Jewish. Um, you know, beyond that, I just... Why do you think the false prophet I think, uh, well, there are a lot of reasons for it, but most importantly, I think in order to get the Jews at the midpoint to worship him, the ones who don't flee and reject the mark, he's going to have to convince them that this new religion, this pluralistic one-world religion, is better than uh, Judaism. And I think having someone from within your own heritage do that is going to make it more, you know, more successful. So do you see the Jewish people worshiping Antichrist on the throne in, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem at the midpoint? 
Some of them, sure. Yeah, they're not all going to believe. Yeah. Some, yeah. Them. Some of them. Yeah. No, no. There's. I th I think that that will help his cause. But yeah, I think it's pretty self-evident. I've never heard the view that all Jews get saved in the tribulation. I. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. 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 You bet. Yep. Okay.